Today in our podcast, Carefully Examining the Text, we look at Psalm 62. Psalm 62 says in the heading for the choir director, according to Juddathan, a Psalm of David. Now, Juddathan is mentioned in the headings of Psalm 39 and Psalm 77. He's mentioned in the text of 1 Chronicles 16, verse 41, and 1 Chronicles 25, in verse 1. In the Chronicles reference, Juddathan is listed, along with Heman and Asaph, as temple singers. And it's best, probably, to take this as a proper noun here, in reference to this family of temple singers. And it's said to be a psalm of David. The text of Psalm 62 says, My soul waits in silence for God only. From Him is my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will you assail a man that you may murder him All of you, like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence, they have counseled only to thrust him down from his high position. They delight in falsehood. They bless with their mouth, but inwardly they curse. Selah. My soul wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. On God my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Salah. Men of low degree are only vanity, and men of rank are a lie. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than breath. Do not trust in oppression, and do not vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God, and loving kindness is yours, O Lord, for you recompense a man according to his work. You notice the psalm begins with an expression of trust and confidence in God. In silence, he looks for God, and he looks for God only. The word translated only is used to describe God in verse 1, verse 2, verse 5, and verse 6. And it's only in God that he can find security. It is only in God that he can find salvation. In verse 2, God is, and God only, is his rock his solid foundation, the place for shelter against the storms of life. God is my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. Verses 3 and 4 are the only specific mention of an enemy in the psalm. He begins by addressing that enemy with the question, How long? in verse 3. Now, the question, how long, is often asked in the Psalms. 
In Psalm 13, it was asked four times in the first two verses. Here this question, how long, though, is not asked of God as it was in Psalm 13. This question, how long, in verse 3, is addressed to wicked men. How long is it going to be before they learn the futility of their actions, before they turn from their wicked course? How long will you assail a man that you may murder him, all of you, like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence. Now those expressions that are used at the end of verse 3, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence, suggest insecurity and instability. Some of your translations, the King James in particular, makes this a reference to the wicked men who are assaulting David, that they are unstable and insecure. Many translations, like the New American Standard, seem to suggest that this is a reference to David himself. His enemies see his weakness and his vulnerability. They view him like a leaning wall and like a tottering fence. And indeed, their assessment would be right, were it not for the fact that he has God alone as his rock. Because God alone is his rock. He is not as vulnerable as he seems. He is weak in himself, but he has a mighty God who defends him. In verse 4, these enemies are continu- the, there's a con- continued description of the enemies. They have counseled only to thrust him down from his high position. The word only here is used of man's plotting and scheming. As he is planning to take one down from his powerful position, they delight in falsehood. They They bless with their mouth, but inwardly they curse. You cannot trust what they say. And again, as has been so frequent, In these psalms in the 50s and 60s, it is words that are this enemy's tool to do destruction, his tool of destruction. But in contrast to the enemies, he again speaks of God. Notice the similarity between verses 5 and 6 and verses 1 and 2. The enemies are surrounded by descriptions of God as salvation and God as rock that blunts the threat of these foes. In verse 5, my soul waits in silence for God only, for my hope is from Him. Or it says, my soul wait in silence. Actually, the verb there in verse 5 is an imperative, wait in silence. For God. While verse 1 spoke of God, God as being uh, our salvation, this passage suggests that because of what He is, we should wait in silence for Him. He calls upon Himself to do this. 
So there's a difference between verse 1 and while verse 1 he silently waits for God and now in verse 5 he addresses himself and speaks to himself to wait in silence for God. In verse 1 David spoke of my salvation being in God and now in verse 6 verse 5 he says my hope is in him. He once again expresses the idea in verse 6 that God only is my rock and my salvation. And he says, I shall not be shaken. If you compare verse 6 with verse 2, you notice that in verse 2 he would not be greatly shaken. But now in verse 6, I shall not be shaken. In verse 7, on God my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge, is in God. Trust in Him at all times, O peoples. Trust, the word trust here, is plural. He is addressing the crowds. He is calling upon the people to trust in God. He is calling upon the people to pour out their heart before God. This God, who is a rock, a refuge, and salvation, is a God who saves all our tears in His book. In Psalm 56, verse 8, He is one to whom we can pour out our heart. God is a refuge for us. Based on who God is, as described in verses 1 through 7, and based upon the fact that we must put our trust in Him, Verses 9 through 12 contain a series of wisdom statements telling us where not to put our trust and giving us a further description of God. In verse 9, men of low degree are only vanity and men of rank are only a lie. Now, what the Hebrew text actually does here is use two different words for men. Does it mean to distinguish them in the way the New American Standard does with men of low degree and men of rank, men of prominence? Psalm 49 verse 2 does the same thing. Interestingly, both of these different Hebrew words for man in verse 9 are translated the same way in the Septuagint. It may be a way not of emphasizing the different ranks among, among mankind, but simply a way of saying that all people, all men, all women, all of them are vanity. All of them are a lie. What does that mean, that they're a lie? Well, they may look substantial. They may look important. But that's not real. For the Bible tells us they're only vanity. This word vanity is the word that's used so often in the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. So whether we're talking about people of low degree or high degree, whether we're talking about any person anywhere, they are vanity. They are a lie. 
And if they are weighed in the balances, the breath is actually heavier than they. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are less than nothing and meaningless. Isaiah 40, verses 15 through 17. We cannot, because man is so weak, we cannot put our trust in him in this passage. We cannot expect anything from him. Psalm 27, the point is because man is weak, we cannot fear him. But here, we cannot trust him. In verse 10, do not trust in oppression and do not vainly hope in robbery. Don't employ any means you can to get wealth. And the Bible says if riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. Even if they are legitimately gotten, do not set your heart on them. For they make wings like an eagle and they fly away. Proverbs 23 Verses 4 and 5. We are weak. We are frail. We are insubstantial. But verse 11, once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God and loving kindness is yours, O Lord, for you recompense a man according to his work. That statement that God recompenses a man according to his work is found in Matthew 16, 27, Romans 2 and verse 6 in the New Testament. There's similar statements made in Revelation chapter 2 and verse uh, 23. Uh, a statement is made that's similar to this. Revelation 20 in verse 13, Revelation 22 and verse 12 that God recompenses us according to his works. What does this psalm tell us about God? God and God alone is our salvation, our rock, our stronghold, our glory, our refuge. God and God alone is a worthy object of our trust. Riches are not a place to put our trust. Man is not a place on whom to hang our hat. It is God and God alone that we can put our trust in. And God possesses power in verse 11 and loving kindness in verse 12. Truly, the greatness, the glory, the magnitude of God is beyond our ability to grasp. How does Psalm 13 foreshadow Jesus? Or Psalm 62 foreshadow Jesus? How does Psalm 62 foreshadow Him? Just as this psalm speaks of God as my salvation in verse 1 and in verse 2, in verse 6, and in verse 7, so Jesus Christ is our Savior. In John 4, verse 42, the Samaritans recognize that he is the Savior of the world. 
In Acts 5, 31, Peter said God has appointed him a prince and a savior. In Acts 13, verse 23, Paul in his sermon at Antioch of Pisidia says God has raised up of David's seed a savior who is Christ. Ephesians 5.23, Philippians 3.20, 2 Timothy 1.10, and many other passages all emphasize Jesus as Savior. Jesus is our salvation. He is our glory. In verse 7, the Bible tells us the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. John 1 verse 14, Jesus is our glory. And God's power and God's loving kindness are emphasized in Jesus We preach Christ crucified, Paul said. To the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are saved, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. The power of God. Christ is God's power to save from sin I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The last two verses I quoted were 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24, and Romans 1 and verse 16. In the cross, we see God's power, the power to forgive us, to transform us, And we see God's loving kindness demonstrated as well. God's loving kindness, God's mercy and forgiveness. God's loving kindness is demonstrated all throughout Scripture and all throughout the Old Testament. Some are perplexed when they come to John 1.17 and we read the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth was given through Jesus Christ. Isn't there grace and truth in the Old Testament? Of course there is. There's loving kindness on every page of the Old Testament. But the display of loving kindness in the cross of Christ is so dramatic, powerful, and profound that it trumps anything that has gone before. The law was given through Moses but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. John 1.17 The cross is the ultimate display of God's loving kindness and mercy. That statement that God will render to man according to his works in verse 12 is a statement that we will be judged in accordance to our deeds. But if this were strictly carried out to the degree that none of us receive forgiveness, we would all be lost, as Psalm 130 verses 3 and 4 state. But because of the cross of Christ, we can be forgiven of our sins. For those who are not forgiven by Christ, who choose to bear their sins alone and stand on their own two feet, they will experience his judgment. But in Christ, 
There is forgiveness. There is salvation. In the New Testament, we find people believing in Christ and repenting of their sins, being baptized into Christ to have their sins washed away. Christ can forgive every stain. Thank you for listening.